Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening to everyone listening, and welcome to the very first episode of the Well Read Podcast. I am your host, Megan Bjorki, aka The Real Bookish Writer. I am a reader, writer, bookseller, book festival goer, and I am and always have been obsessed with genre fiction. While you're here, there will be two segments, a short one where I review the books I've read for the past week, and then a longer one which will consist of a one-on-one author interview. I have some incredible guests lined up and I can't wait to share them all with you. So without further ado, let's jump right in. Because this is the first episode, before I start this review segment, I want to do a quick disclaimer. One thing you will never hear from me on here is a bad review. Reading is a subjective art, something I love you might not like, a favorite book of yours I might never want to read. Every single person has a different reaction to the same piece of work, and just because I might not like a book doesn't mean you won't love it. Plus, as a hopeful future author, I know how much time and effort goes into writing a book. I know how personal it is and how much strength it takes, and as such, I will never talk bad or poorly about someone else's work. I will never mitigate the courage it takes to put a personal creation out into this world. So if you've come here for bad reviews, this place isn't for you. But if you want to hear me gush about the books I love and talk to authors I respect and admire, you've come to the right place. This past week was kind of a slow week for me, and I ended up finishing four books. I finished the young adult fantasy Shatter Me series with the last full-length novel Imagine Me and the last novella Believe Me by Tahara Mafi. I thought Imagine Me was a really good ending to the series and gave me the closure I wanted on a lot of different fronts. I am glad that I read Believe Me, though, because it was the perfect icing on top of the entire series. It gave me the happy ending I wanted for the two main characters and left me feeling content and fulfilled. I also read an arc, which is short for advanced reader copy, of Mackenzie Reads' upcoming young adult debut, The Rosewood Hunt. And let me tell you, I'm obsessed. I loved this book. It was fun, exciting, well-written, and just really interesting. It gave me National Treasure vibes, and as a massive National Treasure fan, I loved the high-stakes, fast-paced adventure that this book has. The main band of characters complement each other really well, and the whole book is absolutely addicting. The Rosewood Hunt is out on October 31st, and I highly recommend pre-ordering this one. It's a great fall read. The last book I read was Forget Me Not by Julie Soto, which is an adult romance. I am also officially obsessed with Soto's work at this point, and she is an automatic buy author for me. This book was sexy, romantic, fun, and passionate. The characters are flawed and real. This also has the grumpiest Grumpy vs. Sunshine I've seen in a long time, and I definitely need more. Soto has an incredible voice that draws you in, and you don't want to stop reading. And Elliot, the main character, perfection. I also just started an arc of Bride by Allie Hazelwood, which is her upcoming adult romanticy that releases in February, and even though I'm only two chapters in, I can already tell I'm going to love it. Hopefully, I'll have finished that one by next week and can talk about it a bit. Well, that's it for this week's reviews, so let's dive into our first ever author interview. I am absolutely honored and very excited to introduce today's guest. She is a number one New York Times, USA Today, Wall Street Journal, international and indie-bound best-selling author of Belladonna and the All the Stars and Teeth duology. Her recent release, Foxglove, which was released on August 22nd, debuted number one on both the New York Times and Publishers Weekly bestseller list. Both Belladonna and All the Stars and Teeth have been Barnes & Noble Young Adult Book Club picks, and her books have been featured on so many most anticipated lists, I've lost count. 
She has also been featured in Entertainment Weekly, Marie Claire, Writer's Digest, Teen Vogue, and so many more. Prior to becoming an author, she spent several years working in live theater and on Nickelodeon Animation's popular series and one of my all-time favorite universes, The Legend of Korra. When she's not on tour and not traveling to book festivals, she spends her non-writing days watching too much anime and playing video games with her two adorable dogs. Please welcome one of my favorite authors and an absolutely wonderful human being, Adeline Grace. Thank you so much, Adeline, for being here. I am so excited to chat with you. Oh my goodness. Hello. That was quite the introduction. Thank you very much. (laughs) (laughs) You have an insane amount of accolades and they are absolutely well-deserved because both of your series are incredible. I know Fox Glove, like I said, was just released recently. How's the, how's that been the aftermath of that? Cause you're done with your domestic tour for Fox Glove, right? Yeah. I actually head out on a European tour in two days and I've never traveled overseas before. I've never gone out of the country. So I'm very, very excited, but it hasn't like quite hit me yet, but I'm just are glad you- that the book is out in the world. Are you prepared for your trip? You got everything packed, everything organized. <laughs> Um, I have like, I made a checklist of stuff to pack, but I haven't actually done the packing yet. And no, I'm not remotely ready at all. I have to like shave my dogs and do like a bunch of weird, (laughs) random, like household chores, do the laundry. So I still have a bunch of stuff to do. So where are you going over, uh, overseas? Oh my goodness. I'm going to Europe. I'm going to many different parts of it. I'm going to Dublin, Spain, um London Edinburgh Amsterdam uh Paris actually two different parts of France so yeah kind of like all over the place that's an incredible first trip if you've never been out of the country before that's insane I'm so excited and you're going with such a good group of people like how did you guys put that together and how did you guys all decide at one time like hey we're gonna go do this together it just worked out. So I have friends who there are other authors who are going over there. Um, they were going over there for Adrian Young right, runs a group called Writing with the Soul and they're doing like a retreat over there. And um, they went without me last year and they went when I was on tour with Belladonna and uh, they were like in hedge mazes as I was having like a launch week crisis. I was like, where are my friends? And everybody's ignoring me. So when they decided to go there this year, I was like, you guys aren't going without me. Like I'm going with you. And fortunately it just ended up, the timing ended up working out really, really well because Fox Glove just released in Spanish. It just released in the UK. So I talked to different publishers out there and it just kind of happened. Like everybody was very on board with the idea of like doing events and, uh, you know, different countries ended up like reaching out and wanting to bring me out there since I was already so close. So I don't know how it happened. It was just all like a very, very happy, wonderful, exciting accident. And to get to go with so many of my best friends, I'm really excited. So as a fan of every single person that's going, (laughs) like that entire group, I'm just saying at some point, there should be a domestic tour for you guys (laughs) with all of you going, because that would be, it's, it's a powerhouse group that you, that you are going with. It's absolutely insane. Um, And that's so exciting that you get to go to so many different places, you know, not just one country, but you get to go to so many. I've been to several of those and they're, they're pretty special. A lot of those places are very, very special. So that's so exciting. I hope you have a fun trip. Thank you. I'm sure it's going to be an absolute blast. And yeah, it just, again, total happy accident where 
I mentioned to somebody, Hey, yeah, I'm going out there. And then they're like, Oh, you are okay. Well come to Spain then. So just very, very happy. And a lot of us are published with the same publishers out there. So it kind of just ended up working out. That's awesome. So when you get back, because Foxglove is out, that's the second book in the trilogy, right? It's going to be a trilogy. It's Belladonna, Foxglove. And then your third one that's been announced is Wisteria. Mm -hmm. Where are you in the process with that? Where do you, what do you get to do when you come back from tour? I dive straight into edits. So I actually just got my first round of edits yesterday, I think. Um, I, I don't really think I'm going to have a chance to really dive into them while I'm gone for three weeks. So when I come back, it's going to be sh like going straight to work, holding up in a cave because I will only have three weeks left of my deadline to do the first like major round of developmental edits. Very nice. So when you started Belladonna, because your first series was a duology, and then this one is a trilogy. How has it been? Like, is it that is there that big of a difference between writing a duology and writing a trilogy? Did you know you wanted to do a trilogy when you first started Belladonna? Well, it's funny because Belladonna was originally sold as a standalone, and I kind of always knew I wanted to explore the world more. But when I originally sold it, I sold it in a two book deal for two different standalones. Um, oh. But when I actually, I also sold on proposal, so I didn't have the full book written. It was like a couple sample chapters and then a full synopsis of everything that was going to happen in the story, like a big breakdown. Um, but once I actually dove into it, very, very quickly on, I had the idea for Fox Love. And I was like, I'm just not done with these characters. There's so much more I want to explore. So I ended Belladonna, a completely different ending than I had pitched to the team. And I ended it on a cliffhanger and I didn't say anything. I just sent it to them and was like, hey, do you guys like it? Like, do you want to maybe do another one? And since I already had the two book deal, it was pretty easy for them to extend it. Um, but then I did it again for Wisteria. And it was a little bit more of a complicated process because Fox Club hadn't been out yet. It was months before, like six to seven months before publication. So traditionally sales for second books and series drop. And for each book, sales like continue to drop typically. Um, so nobody really knew what was going to be happening with Fox Club. So it was a little bit of a, will I, won't I be able to sell them Wisteria? And eventually I was able to sell it. And fortunately, you know, sales with Fox Glove are going up. So I was able to kind of get that. But yeah, I just kept doing it. I just kept sending them like cliffhangers and being like, hey, guys, you want another one? Um, yeah, they're going to get sick of me eventually. But I just have a hard time. Like, I don't know. I had so many ideas for different characters in this world and different parts that I wanted to explore so I just wanted to do it. But yeah, I mean, trilogies are very difficult. Um, with a duology, you know, you have a start and you have an end and you kind of get to skip like that awkward, difficult middle. Yeah. I, I think that middle books and series are extraordinarily difficult because you are, you know, continuing a story, you're starting something new, and also you are preparing for an ending. It has a, just a bunch of different roles in a second in a trilogy that you have to like fulfill somehow and yeah it took like fox love kicked my butt like it was a very very difficult book to write was it like plot wise was it difficult were you you know putting more of yourself into fox glove you know were the were there specific scenes that were difficult to write how come it was so much harder to write than like belladonna yeah i think it's just because you know one there's an additional point of view 
And there's so many different elements. There's the mystery, there is the romance, there's the paranormal elements, there's the historical elements. You're balancing two different points of view. Um, there's a lot of stuff to kind of balance and try to get right and make sure that all of those parts are being told equally. Like I'm not, I'm not missing out on the mystery by focusing on the romance um, and really trying to hit all of those points. It's just really, really difficult. Like I always knew what the story was going to be. I am a outliner. I love like outlining is probably my favorite part in the process because it's where I feel like a genius before I actually get to like having to write the stuff. It's like, oh, this, this story idea is going to be so cool. It's going to be so fun. And, you know, I don't have to do it yet. So I get to be excited about it. Um, so I always like knew where I was going to go. So I don't know that it was the plot necessarily, but it was just getting the new characters, right. It was balancing everything. It was making sure that Blythe's point of view is as necessary as Cigna's. Um, at one point in the first draft, death also had a point of view of his own. And it was kind of just like me writing fan fiction for myself. Uh, it didn't actually need to happen. Because for the most part, even though him and Cigna have a much more difficult time seeing each other in Foxglove because of things that happen in Belladonna, he's still there, you know? So his point of views were just like him creeping around Cigna, I guess, like they just weren't necessary. So it was just trying to figure out like how to tell the story I wanted to tell. With death being the predominant, one of the predominant characters, we'll just go with that for people who haven't read Belladonna. What made you want to add fate? into foxglove why was he a necessary character what made you go i want i want someone else like this in this book but i don't want it to be death yeah i figured that you know since death as an entity existed in this world that there had to be sort of like other deity type characters and my brain just kind of wandered to okay well who might they be uh what are they like and i thought it would just be really fun i've always liked like competition and I've liked rivalry and especially like sibling rivalry. And I thought it'd be really fun to just create this character who's sort of a foil for death. Um, very, very different. He is more of like a strutting peacock. He is, he has a big ego um, and he's very, very full of himself, but also he's different in the fact that he can be seen by people, which is something that death has always struggled with because nobody can really see him until their last moments he's not able to make those connections so fate has much more of a footing in the human world and I just thought it'd be really fun to kind of pit those characters against each other and create that sibling brother rivalry and it, it just felt like a good time this trilogy is very very different than your first duology all the stars and teeth, it's pirates and mermaids and magic. And it's absolutely beautiful. That's all the stars and teeth I read years ago. And I absolutely fell in love with your writing style. And then you go to Belladonna, which is much more, it's much more Gothic. It's, I think you pitched it as Knives Out meets Bridgerton, Bridgerton, excuse me. I'm from California, you know, the Central Valley, so I don't <laughs> pronounce my T's apparently. What made you, because I'm interested to know where you came up with the ideas for both of these series, but what made you want to switch from something that was like, like I said, pirates and mermaids in this fantasy world and all the stars and teeth to something much darker, much more kind of spooky, a mystery thriller kind of uh, world in this one. You know, it just felt kind of natural. Like I always say that stars and teeth feels like I was like setting off on an adventure, you know, where writing the Belladonna series kind of feels like 
coming home and settling in on the couch with like a nice cup of tea by the fire. Like it just feels very cozy. It feels very relaxing to me. Um, I think I've grown a lot too, as a writer and a storyteller since all the stars and teeth. Um, I think, you know, that idea happened in a very like interesting time in my life. So I had just been in a car accident. I had broken two ribs and part of my spine and was told like, I could not go back to my job. And I was on, um, like insurance money for a little while. I had a, like a little bit of a, of a break where I could just basically do nothing. Um, cause I couldn't, I couldn't do anything. And I had to try to figure out like what I was going to do next. Like when that money ran out, what am I going to do? I need a job. I can't go back to the one I had. Like it, I was physically unable to do it. Um, so I had a small, a small window. I'd always wanted to publish a book. I'd always been trying to publish a book. Uh, I had been querying. I had just gotten out of pitch wars with a project that uh, will never see the light of day. It did not like, I did not get an agent with that project. Um, but I learned a lot and now I had this kind of window of opportunity where I was just sitting on my couch and I couldn't do anything else. So I was like, okay, well, let me take this time to put all the skills that I've learned through pitch wars, through querying for several years and try to write another book. And I wrote all the stars and teeth in three weeks. It was the very like first idea I had when I set out to quickly, quickly draft a book because I was very desperate at this point. Like I needed to figure out what I was going to do for money. Um, I wrote it very quickly and I edited it probably in another, like maybe three weeks. And I don't know what happened with that book. Like it was a very rare and like incredible thing. Cause again, I had been querying for years. And when I queried all the stars and teeth within 24 hours, I had multiple offers of representation. And then over the next like two weeks, um, I had a couple more. So I was really just like, it was, it was a night and day difference. Like it felt like just kind of like the right book at the right time. Um, but it wasn't like this passion project I've been stewing on for ages. You know, it was, I wanted to write something. I really liked pirates and I liked magic. And it was like, okay, you have a couple months to figure this out and to try to figure out what your next source of income is going to be. Um, so it was kind of, you know, I had to do it and it ended up working out and I'm very, very lucky and fortunate that it did. Um, and then with Belladonna, you know, I had written a duology before, um, as I was pitching that idea, the sequel to all the stars and teeth was either about to come out, like maybe a month from coming out or had like just come out. I can't quite remember. It was during the pandemic. Like I couldn't leave my house at all. This was before a vaccine. Um, so I was just alone doing nothing. I had this series that you know, it did, it did pretty well, but uh bookstore shut down three weeks after it came out. So <laughs> uh, makes it a little was, difficult, makes it a little difficult. There was that. So it was just like, you know, I can't control what's going to happen with the books that I put out. The only thing I can control is the kind of stories that I want to tell. I have more time right now. I have a little bit more influence because I did end up with um, the New York times bestseller title for all the stars and teeth, which is very helpful when you're going to go sell another book. Um. So I have always just liked things that are a little bit dark. Like my relaxing music growing up was Sweeney Todd. 
Like I, just, I love Sweeney Todd. That's amazing. I love it. I just, I got to see it when I was on tour um, in New York. Oh my gosh. It was just, it was, it was the best thing. Yeah. It was the best performance I've seen live. Um, I just always loved things that are, that have that like grit to it, to have that like little bit of darkness. So it just kind of felt very natural to lean into that and to lean into those paranormal sort of elements. And the Victorian era has always been fascinating to me. So it just kind of all came together with, because like I said, Belladonna is at least with the first book, it's very much like a murder mystery. Something happens and Cygna's trying to figure out what's going on. I know you said that you're an outliner. So when you sat down to write, I mean, it sounds like you knew exactly who the killer was. And did you kind of know the process of how Cygna was going to come to that realization? Or did that take some time to work out? Um, I always knew who the killer was. I remember even in the synopsis when I was pitching the book to publishers, I laid out like all of the the suspects and stuff like that. So I always, I always kind of knew and I had that general idea, but a lot changes from when I outline to when I'm actually writing. So for example, there was like characters added and stuff um, after the synopsis and more suspects. And then I write the first draft and there's not a lot of like, red herrings, you know, or sometimes the motivations for the murder or motivations for why certain people do certain things like doesn't always hit in that first draft. So it's a lot of kind of going back and editing and honestly, like probably 90% of like the published books that you see on the shelves, probably like 90% of the, the writing process and the words that you actually see are editing. Like the first drafts suck. I hate turning in my first drafts. I would rather like cut my eyes out uh, than force anybody to look at my first drafts. Um, yeah, I don't even remember what I was saying now because I'm just so like, I just am having this like memory of having to send the first draft of Wisteria to my editor and just being in like such a panic. But I feel like people who don't write, they don't realize how much of a process a manuscript goes through you know, before you get to this final project, it's not okay, you submit it, and they make a couple changes. And it's hunky dory, you know, when you send (laughs) it in, (laughs) like, there's so much that there's so much work besides this first draft that goes into creating this final piece. And it takes dedication. And how was the process between, you know, submitting this first draft with all the stars and teeth and Belladonna? Because with all the stars and teeth, like you said, you didn't have an agent, you were very lucky to where you started querying and you immediately had interest in the book. But I feel like it's got to be so different submitting a book where you're not on deadline, where you don't have an agent or a publisher yet to your second series where you have a deadline, you know, you have to get this stuff in. What was kind of the process there and what were the differences and why was it, you know, was, were there difficulties between the, between the two? Yeah. So my teams for all the stars and teeth and Belladonna are entirely different from my publisher to my agent. Um, you know, when I got into publishing, you don't know what you don't know. And you can't know anything about what publishing is actually like inside until you're in it. Like I read everything I could. I talked to everybody that I could, but every single team and every single publisher, they operate so, so differently. And also with like agents, you don't know your working style or what you need from somebody until you're working with somebody. So there is a lot with all the stars and teeth where, you know, I just, I didn't, know better. Um, 
I think back to like certain edits and I, I love my publishing team for all the stars and teeth. I think they did a phenomenal job, but sometimes you get edits for every single book and you're not expected to take all of the edits. A lot of times you have to like learn what the note beneath the note is. And I didn't necessarily know that as well for all the stars and teeth. So like, there's certainly things I would go back and do differently and that I would change um, just because I didn't have the experience with Belladonna, I did have the experience, you know, I had two books under my belt. Um, and there was one edit I remember getting from my first editor with this series that was to remove Silas as a character. It was a suggestion to remove his entire character. And I was like, that's not going to work for me. You know, had I gotten that back for all the stars and teeth with my first book, I probably would have been like, oh, okay. Like I need to remove this character. Um, but with Belladonna, you know, I had more experience. And I was like, okay, well, the note here is that this character isn't isn't hitting yet. Like, I need to add this character more. I need to give him more of a point and more of a purpose. Um, so I, you know, for anybody who's read the book, I obviously kept Silas as a character. He's a very important character and one is. of my one of my favorite parts of the book. Um, so there is a lot of like you learn a lot with, with each book and, you know, working with different teams and with different people, it's a skill set. like beyond just writing and storytelling, like being in publishing on the actual like professional side of it is a skill set that you have to develop and you have to learn. Cause again, you don't know what you don't know, and there's nobody that can really prepare you for it. So I do think that Belladonna has been an easier process. Um, cause with all the stars and teeth, like you are a fish that is like thrown into the ocean for the first time. You're like just swimming, trying to figure out like how the heck you're going to survive as all these sharks and whales are like floating around you. And with Belladonna, I, I knew, you know, I'm familiar with the ocean now. I know where to go and how to navigate it. And I'm getting a little bit bigger. I'm eating good food. Um, I'm developing as a fish. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> So yeah, I, I feel much more comfortable. You know, I'm able to communicate with my team better too and be like, hey, I like this. Hey, I don't feel good about this. Um, yeah, it's it's a lot more comfortable, I think, as you go on. I think debuting is one of the most difficult things somebody can ever go through if they want to be in publishing. If you could give a piece of advice to someone who they they want to be a writer, they want to be a published writer, you know, they've finished their first draft and they're going into the querying process, what would be a piece of advice you would give them? Yeah. Okay. So my advice that I usually like to give, I'm, I'm very type A, I guess I'm much more like business-minded and tactical. So it's not really like, write what you love. Like it's not that sort <laughs> of advice, which I think is great. I do think that advice is great, but for anybody who is a little bit more business-minded like me, I think one of the things that I did wrong in the beginning was, you know, the advice that I used to get, and I don't know if this still circulates, but the advice I always used to hear was that a project was not dead until you'd queried at least a hundred agents. Um, do you, do people still hear that advice? Is that still going around? I heard that a couple years ago. Yeah. Okay. But it's, yeah. it's been a while it's, since it's, I've it's, done it's that. It's bullshit. <laughs> don't, don't follow that advice. <laughs> don't listen um, to it. I used to query anybody who called themselves an agent. Like they could be wearing like a state farm agent shirt. And I'd be like, please like validate me, read my book because you just want somebody who is professional to like validate that you can do this and that you are a good writer and that you have some sort of talent. 
Um, but I think like the most important thing and the thing that I would recommend to everybody is to really try to validate yourself. I, I think that there's, you know, there's not a hundred great agents in, well, okay. The agency is big overall, but you're right. If you're writing like young adult, there's not a hundred great agents who rep YA. There's probably a hundred great agents like overall, but they're all, they all have their, their niches. It's, you know, I think that as hard as it is, like only querying the people or the agencies that you are very, very excited about that you could see yourself working with that you think sell great books or who have, who represent authors who have the kind of career that you want and who are making the deals that you want to make. And you can look a lot of this information up on Publishers Marketplace. If you get a, um, like a professional account on there, I think it's 25 bucks a month and you can cancel it anytime. And I would always recommend it if you can before querying, because you can see, you can look at agencies and see their sales and you can look at agents to see who they sell to sometimes a rough amount of like how much they sell for like the number won't be there, but sometimes they put like a major deal or a very nice deal. And all of those have certain meanings that you can find on publishers marketplace to kind of like see an estimate of roughly how much kind of you can see, you know, are they only selling digital deals only? And you want your book in a bookstore and a physical copy Um, Are they selling to the same publisher over and over and over? Well, they probably have a great relationship with that publisher, but what about other publishers? You you can find all that information out. And I think just kind of limiting yourself to the people that you are just very excited about. And as hard as it is, you know, if you get feedback, um, if it ends up not working out with any of those agents, I would think maybe, or I mean, your mileage may vary. What I would do is um, take everything that I learned with that project and work on a new one and submit to those agents again with the next project rather than continuing to shop it to people I'm not as excited about because that's kind of like me telling myself okay well I can't have the career that I want so I'll settle for something you know less I'll settle for something more mediocre and I don't want to do that you know I want to I I had a kind of, I had a kind of career in mind that I wanted for myself. And I think just kind of sticking to that and trusting your gut and realizing that your storytelling and your work has value and you are valuable and that you should get the kind of things that you're looking for and just being very strategic and being very careful about that because no agent is certainly better than having a a bad agent and getting yourself into a bad contract. And unfortunately, there's a lot of those out there and there's a lot of kind of scammy people out there. And I think just being really, really careful about that and validating yourself and analyzing what kind of career you want for yourself. Who do you think will get that for you and going for that? And I mean, obviously, I feel like that's good advice just because of your career and what it has led to. I mean, like I said in your intro, you have you are on so many most anticipated lists. Like I couldn't even write them all down. (laughs) Like we would still be here if I was reciting them. And so you now have this, I mean, you have this incredible career and you've become such a staple in the young adult world. What has been the most like incredible, memorable moment of your publishing career so far? Oh my gosh. That's so hard. I don't know if there's necessarily one. Oh, there's, there's, yeah, there's a couple. 
I mean, obviously going to the bookstore and seeing your book for the first time on a shelf is something that is just amazing. Um, yeah, that in itself is super incredible. There's one and it's kind of a funny story that's super embarrassing because my mom was there with me and I was in Target and Belladonna was also in Target and I saw somebody like it had it in their hands and they were reading it as they walked. It was an employee. So she was probably just like checking the book out or maybe like, I don't know, going to put it back or something. Anyway, she was walking towards the break room with the book in her hand and my mom flipped out and like ran after this poor girl it was like chasing her. The girl went into the break room. She was behind a door that had like a little tiny cutout screen or like a window. And my mom's knocking on the door and this poor girl is just like staring at her like, what is happening? And she comes out and my mom was like, are you enjoying that book? Like, do you want to meet the author? So it was a mortifying experience, but also like, it's really cool to see your book being read by somebody you don't know in public, like when you're just out shopping and totally not expecting it. Uh, I can never go back into that target ever again in my entire life. <laughs> but you gotta love a supportive mom though. And an excited mom. Yeah. I'll just, I mean, that's the thing that I will definitely never forget. Although yeah, I have a, a different target I shop at now. <laughs> but I think too just like yeah readers like talking to readers and going to any like book festivals or touring like that's always those are my favorite moments like the reader connections for sure um yeah and then just seeing a stranger read it it's pretty cool with all of the stuff that's going on with your books uh like you mentioned you know you get to go on an international tour soon you just got done with your domestic tour you're working on Wisteria, you know, the deadline for that's coming up. You're doing, you know, still publicity for Foxglove. How do you manage all of that? Because <laughs> the amount of stuff that you do is absolutely insane. Like every time I get on Instagram, I'm like, oh my God, she's doing something else. How is this woman doing this? How do you manage all of that? Uh, I don't know. That's a great question. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I knew. Suffering. Um, I think, you know, for a lot of years, I kind of put living like a normal human life on the back burner. And I tried to remedy that a little bit earlier this year. And I joined like a bunch of sports classes. I joined badminton, tennis, yoga, nice. uh, volleyball. And I, I went oh, like a little too hard into trying to like get out of your office and meet people and do stuff with your life. And I'm trying to find like the balance because it, it's really hard. Like when I said earlier that you don't know what you don't know and nothing can prepare you for it, like the hardest part of, of being an author is finding the time to write because there's so much admin work. Now there's social media and you're always expected to promote the books and make these videos and post the pictures and update people and communicate with readers, which some of it is really, really fun, but also it's really time consuming. Like that is a full-time job. And I have to make graphics on Canva and Photoshop and like learn all these other weird skills that I never expected I would need. Um, so yeah, it's, it's incredibly, incredibly time consuming. And I don't know if there's a perfect way to balance it, honestly, especially with travel. Like I can't really work when I'm traveling. I get sick if I try to work on planes. Um, there's not much time in the hotel especially when you're on tour, because it's, you wake up in the morning, very early. Usually you go straight to the airport, 
get to the airport. You don't have very long there. You get on a plane. I can't work on the plane. I get sick. Uh, you land, you go check into your hotel, you shower and get ready, go to the event, get back and pretty much do it all over again. Like you get back really, really late, usually um, at least around like 10 p.m. So it's, you know, and then and then you want to just like relax for a second. There's not really any time to work while you're traveling. And then when you're home, you're responding to emails and doing social media. So it's it's a challenge for sure. I think just trying to, you know, make myself a little bit less available, which means if I have to respond to emails later, or if I respond to them later in the week or something, like it just depends to what's going on. Like how tight of a deadline am I on? Sometimes there's like more stale periods in publishing. So like when I've turned my book into my editor, and I don't really have anything necessarily to work on, especially if I'm, if I'm only working on one thing at a time. Okay, that's my time to catch up, clean the house, like do my taxes, do all the projects like I've been putting off. So it, it does keep you very, very busy. Um, I'm still trying to figure out the balance because, you know, writing used to be my hobby and what I did for fun and to relax. And now it's, it's very much not that. So trying to figure out like a new hobby and the adjustment period is incredibly difficult. If people can balance it perfectly, I would like to hear from them. I certainly do not. I always feel like I'm behind on something or that there's something I need to do. Someone I need to respond to. Oh shoot. I should have posted yesterday oh man, my engagement's going to go down. Like it's ridiculous. Because your actual writing time is so precious. And like you said, that's kind of the hardest thing that you have to find time to do is actually sit down and write. How do you get in the right headspace to write? Like, are you someone who listens to music? Do you have to have complete silence? You know, do you light a special candle? Like, (laughs) do you close the blinds? Like, how do you, how do you get in the headspace to write? What's your process? It's very different for each book, honestly. Like I feel like each book is, it's a challenge to figure out how to get into that headspace. With Belladonna, it was easy. Like I wrote it during the fall and I would write it mostly like at nighttime and I'd open up the window and let in the breeze and I'd light a pumpkin candle and listen to Peter Gundry music. And with Foxglove, like I tried to do the same thing and the candle wasn't right. I had to change the candle. Foxglove was written to Baltic Amber. Um, Nice. (laughs) And then like sometimes the music wouldn't feel right either. So I have to like try to find different things. And then with Wisteria, it's a very different vibe. It's not quite as, um, I mean, it might be too early for me to speak on this because I'm, edits change a lot of things, (laughs) but it's not necessarily quite as gothic as like Belladonna. Um. So, you know, I need different music now, mm-hmm. but yeah, I tend to, I, I do tend to like music. I can't listen to anything with lyrics. Um, I think I drafted Wisteria to like, I might be mispronouncing it, but it's a video game score, like near Atomica. I don't know, something like that. I honestly, I've never played the game. I don't know anything about the game. I just like the music a lot. With when you said earlier that you were a huge Sweeney Todd fan, you worked in theater for a while, right? Mm-hmm, I did. What did you, what did you do in theater? I was a techie, so behind the stage. Um, 
actually like up in the up in the lights and the rafters a lot of times um just looming over the audience as the show would be going on (laughs) I was a techie too I was a stage manager for a long time oh fun okay and and I stepped away you know life happened or whatever and I had to pivot my career and whenever I go to the theater now it just there's something in me that gets triggered and it's like I forgot how much I love yeah life theater like there's something truly special about life theater especially musicals I love musicals mm-hmm. and you said you love Sweeney Todd yes <laughs> what other than Sweeney Todd what's what's your favorite musical Ooh, okay I had a Hades Town moment for a long while um yeah. big fan of Hades Town although I've not seen it live which is killing me I really tried to see it when I was in New York and the timing just did not work out um but I love the music of Hades Town one show that I, uh, Phantom of the Opera is like a great classic and one show that I really enjoyed working on, um, but not a lot of people know about it. It's called Phantom. So it's the same story as Phantom of the Opera, same characters, but completely different music and told very, like very differently. Um, and it's, it's gorgeous. Like it's really, really good. And I don't know why it doesn't get like a lot of attention, but yeah, Phantom was, I thought, beautiful and so much fun. Um, Footloose was probably one. I don't really love the show, but it was probably one of my favorite ones to work on. Yeah, I mean, Sweeney Todd, hands down, is, <laughs> is my absolute favorite. I love it. And then the Hades Town music is wonderful. What has been the best production that you've ever seen? Not that you worked on, but that you mm-hmm. saw as an audience member. Is it Sweeney Todd? <sighs> Yeah, it's hard because like, I'm trying to be like, am am I biased because I love it so much, but it was phenomenal. Like it really was just phenomenal. Um, I also really, really enjoyed Phantom of the Opera when I saw it in New York. Like it was, that was incredible production too. But yeah, I mean, Sweeney Todd is interesting because the set is so limited, but what they do with it. Like, I don't really love the shows these days. I feel like there's a lot of focus on um, graphics, like weird, like graphics on stage. Um, And I don't, I I don't remember what that's called, but I don't love that. I don't love like when they do it for Frozen or Anastasia. Um, Beetlejuice has it, but not quite as much. Um, I don't, I don't love that. I love the more like traditional stuff and like the, the, the scenery which was amazing in Phantom of the Opera. Sweeney Todd is much more limited. They don't have like a big extravagant set, but what they do with it is incredible. And you don't even care because you're just so focused on the, um, like how amazing the performers are. So probably, probably Sweeney, I might be a little bit biased, but it was incredible. Did you see it locally or did you see it in New York? I saw it in New York. Nice. Yeah, uh, the one with the, the one that's there right now with like Josh Groban and stuff. It was so good. I loved, oh my God, I love Josh Groban. I had a huge crush on him when I was younger. I loved his stuff. <laughs> He's amazing. Uh, so I'm going to ask a question about Sweeney Todd. Okay. <laughs> Have you seen the movie? Yes. <laughs> Just the look on your face. What are your thoughts on the movie? You know, the movie was actually my very first experience with it. Um, and I, I did not mind the movie. But now having gone back and watched the um, like the recording of the stage play with Angela Lansbury as Mrs. Lovett and now having seen it live as well and listened to so many of the different recordings, it can't compare like the the live version of it is just so it's so good. How did you get into theater? Um, Yeah, so I 
got into storytelling in general, when I was really young, I knew that I wanted to be a writer. And I remember when I was 15, I went into my mom's office and was like, Hey, I want to go, like, I, I want to do something that involves like stories and writing. And I guess I was already just very like set at that age. I was like, this is what I'm going to do. And I have to go do it now. <laughs> um, so I, I found out about the theater near us. Um, and it was like this really, really amazing theater. Like they would go do auditions in New York a couple times a year and like fly in actors. And it was just this very like legit, amazing Broadway theater or Broadway style theater. And, um, I applied to be like an intern there. Cause I was only 15 and I wasn't legal for me to work there yet. <laughs> um, and I got that and I just wanted to be closer to like stories, storytelling and studying stuff. And cause I knew I wanted to write, I was trying to figure out like, well, I thought I, I wanted to write books. I wanted to make sure like, do I want to write screenplays? Do I want to write stage plays? Do I want to do journalism? So I tried it all out over the years. And once I was 16, I was able to actually get a job there, even though I worked the same exact amount of hours, like, which, I mean, you worked in theater, you know, you never leave that place. Like, you never leave. You yeah. never leave. And we didn't have like techie switch off. Like if you were on the show, you're on the show. Yep. Um, which I, 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 tr- I loved being a techie, but I didn't want to do it professionally forever. And, um, I did look at like stage management for a while, but again, you, especially as the stage manager, never leave. Never, is- never, ever. <laughs> yeah, especially once the life. show starts, you're there. No, yeah, you're day. there forever. And, um, I just, I, yeah, I didn't think that was for me. Cause I still wanted to write something and I didn't know that I, if I would have the time, cause again, I don't know how people do it. Like stage managers and, uh, restaurant managers. I don't know where, like, how do, you, <laughs> how do you guys do anything? Um, yeah. So after that, I mean, I was there until I was mm, 21 maybe. And I missed a couple shows. Cause when I was 18, I actually left for a while to work at Nickelodeon. Um, and then after Nickelodeon, I went back and like resumed the the theater for a while until I graduated. I had like another semester left. Um, so yeah, it was very, I don't know. I just, I saw it and I was like, I want to do this. And that was the kind of the same thing with um, Nickelodeon too. I wanted to study screenwriting and I watched the first season of Cora. And I remember I was sitting on my bed and I was like, this is annoying. There's no release date yet. Cause for anybody who remembers, there was a long gap between book one and book two. There was. And, and uh, I was like, this is not working out for me. I want to see book two. I want to watch it right now. So I remember I set an alarm to wake up like early the next day and write a cover letter and look at like the, the opportunities that could get me into the door at Nickelodeon. And most people, I think when they try to go for that internship, um, they don't say what show they want to work on because they want like more chances to get in on any show. I catered my resume completely to The Legend of Korra. Uh, There was no other show I wanted to work on. I was like, this is this is it. My whole cover letter is going to be dedicated to this. Um, Yeah, and I went through the process and I kept moving forward with it. But a lot of it was just because, I mean, I did want an internship somewhere and I did want to study screenwriting, but I also really wanted to watch book two. 
Uh, so I just, I'm not a patient oh, person. <laughs> oh my God. That's amazing. Cause it's true. There was a long gap and okay. So I'm assuming because you watched Legend of Korra, you've watched the original, the last airbender, correct? Oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. Are you team Aang or team Korra? If you had to pick one. Aang. Aang. Okay. Mm-hmm. Me too. Who's your yeah. favorite character in last airbender? Iroh. I love Iroh. He's amazing. <laughs> the scene where he goes up to the tree or whatever um, yeah. about his son. I, I'm not a crier, but I freaking yeah. bought that episode. Uh, he's great. That was actually the interview I had there was actually really funny. And they did ask like favorite characters and stuff. They also asked like some ridiculous things like um, if I was a, a car, what type of car would I be and why? And I only, I don't know anything about cars. I had, I was driving like a Jeep at that time. So I was like, oh uh, yeah, I'd be, I'd be a Jeep um, because, you know, I could really like pave my own path. I can like go off-roading and go stuff. Go off-roading. And, nice. Oh, yeah. It was, it was such a, a funny interview, but yeah, they asked about my favorite character and I got to talk about Iroh and stuff. I love Iroh and Jet. I love Jet too. Rest what in kind peace. of, what kind of freight, what kind of bender are you? Um, I fought this for a while. So like I, I used to be, I'm, I'm surely a firebender, like, ah, so passionate. <laughs> but <laughs> no, I'm actually, I'm a waterbender. I'm for sure a waterbender. And see, for the longest time, I wanted to be a waterbender. Okay. I've, I've given in and I've accepted that I'm an earthbender. I'm way too stubborn and hardheaded, I think, <laughs> to be anything other than an earthbender. Mm-hmm. Um, would you bloodbend? Oh, <laughs> if you were a waterbender, should I answer this? Um, I feel like I would learn it. I would learn it in case I have to bloodbend in self-defense. I wouldn't answer. be, I, I mean, I don't want to spoil the show for anybody who hasn't seen it. I wouldn't be like, um, the, the lady who uses bloodbending in Avatar. Probably not. Probably not. not. Probably not, not to that degree. Not intentionally. Uh, I will say that although Avatar The Last Airbender is my favorite of the two series, like my animals, I have a Boomy, I have a Sokka, I have a Toph, I have a Suki. We just started fostering <laughs> a new dog. Her name is Suki. Like that's how we name all of our animals at this point. <laughs> Amon from Korra though. Yeah. He was fantastic. I loved Amon. He was terrifying in a lot of mm-hmm. different ways. And that was, that was very good. What did you do on the second, on the second season or book two? Uh, I worked on book. T- I worked on the end of book two, all of book three, and the very, very beginning of book four. Um, I did production. So basically, they didn't have a, a PA, a production assistant, on that show. So the intern would fill in basically the the PA role. So it's basically just making sure everybody has the stuff that they need, breaking down scripts, which means like you take a script and you mark every prop that is used, every um, character who is used, every setting, every outfit change, because all that stuff needs to be designed. It needs to be drawn. Um, So I did a lot of that stuff, Um, stuff with animatics. Uh, The coolest parts were definitely like, so Avatar is an interesting show and super cool because they will have a scene, like a fight scene, and they will bring in martial artists to record the exact fight scene so they can send wow. that to the animators. So the animators could then animate exactly what it would look like. Um, so the coolest part was definitely like going into the Nickelodeon gym when the martial artists are there 
and watching them do these fight scenes and like throw people around and that's cool yeah that stuff that part was really really cool um watching like the voiceovers was really really cool and everything else was just like it was it was cool but it was was production work you know it's just like making sure like the artists have all the information they need making sure the right information gets to the right people um all that kind of stuff what made you what made you leave and go back and transition from screenwriting to like writing writing because you've it sounds like you've kept like your interest in the arts and in creating for a long time mm-hmm. you did theater then you did animation and this stuff and then you've gone to being you know a published author what made you want to do that transition yeah so i i will admit i have not fully transitioned out of it it's not something i talk about like a ton but i sold um probably 2022 maybe or 2021 i don't know sometime during the pandemic um i sold an animated project to disney and did development mm-hmm. with that for a while um probably about a year don't know if it'll ever see the light of day but like i still love me I mean, my favorite thing ever is creating story ideas and i have so many of them and i will never have enough time to write all of them so the different ways like to get those stories out, you know, if I can pitch a show and go through that whole process. And it was a very scary thing to learn, but also really incredible. Like I, I found out during that time that I really love developing stories and pitching different stories to studios and stuff. I've done a couple of times now. So I'm not completely out of the world of animation. I really do love it so much. Um, the pay is not great in animation. That's, that's for sure. Um, also, especially screenwriting side of things, the story is not just yours. Like if you, even if you are the showrunner and you have like a lot of, a lot of power, it's still not entirely yours. Like you are having to listen to all these different voices along the way. Um, you have the, the studio heads who can fight you on certain ideas and then if you're just a screenwriter, you have the showrunner, you have other screenwriters, you have executives, uh, studio heads who are all coming in and changing things to your story. Um, it's it's part of why I eventually just kind of like walked away from the Disney one and let other people take care of it. Because with writing, you are the sole voice. You are the sole storyteller with novel writing. Uh, you do have editors who come in and give suggestions but at the end of the day they are not touching your work like they cannot change the the stuff in your books without your approval without you looking over things without you agreeing to things that is not how it is in screenwriting like people can just come in at any stage you might not even know about it like until you see the the final product on television um and you know each i i love I love television. I would love to work more in that world, but I also really enjoy having the full control over what my stories look like. So that you get with novel writing. How do you feel about them doing a live action avatar? (laughs) You know, I am hopefully optimistic. I I was more optimistic when the creators were involved, Um, but I can understand like having sold that project to Disney and eventually like separating from it and letting them just take over. I understand 
the creators too. I mean, I know them personally. They're very passionate people. Um, I like how you just casually threw that in there. Like, oh, oh yeah, yeah. I know the creators. And me over here, I'm like, oh my gosh. Oh, no, I mean, actually know them. Oh we're God. all working together. Yeah, we That's all amazing. like, we're like the whole, the whole crew, we're, we're all working together. Or I mean, we were back then. So yeah, they're very, very passionate people. They have a story in mind and they want that story told. And I can definitely see, you know, but like what I'm talking about earlier for all these people coming in and changing things. And I think that there's a certain amount of change that is necessary in any sort of adaptation, but I can understand, like I was, I was more excited when they were involved, but I can also understand like having seen how they work and also having experienced this type of thing before when you're working with a big corporation, a big studio, I can also understand needing to take yourself out of it. Uh, I will say, I think it's going to be a hell of a lot better than the last live action adaptation we had that would, anytime we talked about it, like at the studio, we would like sh- go into a room and shut the door. Like I'd be talking about it with somebody else, like another, um, just whoever there, we would just like go shut the door and be like whispering about it. Cause it was so bad. It was terrible. It, it wasn't great. No, it was especially, awful. <laughs> especially for people who watched the show. Like I didn't get into the show until I was older when my boyfriend and I started dating. Cause he grew up, I was a cartoon network kid. He was a Nickelodeon okay. kid. And I remember I was visiting cause we did long distance for a while and I was visiting and he had to go to work and he's like, please just watch this show. I'm like, I don't know. It seems like it's kind of a kid's show. I don't think I'm really going to like it. And I remember he left for work and I started it. And by the time he got back, I don't think I'd moved once except to use the bathroom. <laughs> and it was, it was such, it's such an incredible show. Mm-hmm. And even like when we rewatch it now, there's so many layers to the show. It's mm-hmm. not just for little kids. It's, you know, it's for so many different people. And it was, it was hard to uh, watch the live action I'll just I'll go with that but I'm I'm excited like you kind of said to see how it is I'm hopefully optimistic as well and I'm fingers crossed that yeah I mean I don't I don't think they're going to change the pronunciation of the names at the very least for Eero or Ong like I don't know what I don't know what they were thinking with that movie but I don't I just don't think they were thinking and I don't yeah. think that um, the creators like got to be involved or anything in that one. So I think it, I think it'll be good. I am optimistic. I'm also very optimistic, more optimistic, honestly, about the, um, the next animated stuff that is, mm-hmm. that's coming out. And I'm very, very curious about all of that. And, you know, that's by the actual creators. And I don't know how much of the crew came back for it. I don't think, I mean, I know they're all working on like, so many different projects like the uh one of the guys just directed the new spider-verse movies from which is fantastic yeah which is amazing like these people are so freaking talented uh joaquin dos santos is his name and he worked on cora i think he worked on avatar too he he was certainly there when i was on cora um but the, the team is so talented and if they manage to get even half of those people back it's just incredible it'll be incredible it's gonna be amazing and I know that you were also a big just anime person, correct? Yeah. Yes. Okay. Okay. What's your favorite anime? And if you had to recommend one to someone who has never watched anime before in their lives, what would you recommend to them? Ooh, okay. Ah, I have a couple of favorites. Depends on my mood. I mean, my current favorite is Spy Family. I am okay. I think it is 
perfect for all and it's perfect for all ages in a way that so many things like can just not be like I think it's really good for kids but also the humor is great for adults too it's so charming I would highly recommend that show I think get like three episodes into it and if you're not like completely sold by then I don't know how I don't um I also recommend I think one of the best ones is Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood but I have a specific way I would recommend watching it I would recommend watching Full Metal Alchemist up through the Hughes arc and you'll you'll know probably when to stop and then moving over to watch all of full metal alchemist brotherhood from the very start you will go through that arc again but they kind of like gloss over a lot of it because have you watched the show before i haven't okay so what happened is the manga was not finished yet when they were doing the anime so the very beginning of it is really fleshed out it follows the exact story as written and then they just went off and did their own thing. And it was horrendous. Um, <laughs> so bizarre. So when they redid the anime, which is Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood, they kind of glossed over some of the stuff in the beginning. But also there's like important new things in the beginning too. Uh, but they gloss over a lot of the really amazing arcs uh, from the first original anime. And then the ending is like, or the middle and the ending are just amazing and the actual story. Um, so I feel like you need to combine like the full, amazing, expanded beginning and those really cool arcs and then move over to Brotherhood and do it all. Okay. Is that the one that you would recommend for someone who hasn't watched one ever? Do you think, or do you think Spy Family is better to start It with? depends on who they are and what they like. Like if they want something like more contemporary, probably Spy Family. If they like fantasy, if they like some of that sort of like weirder stuff, like it's not, it's not a weird show, but like one of the main characters is in like a metal suit because his soul is attached to a metal suit and he lost his body. And part of the show is like him trying to get back his body. So if people are more like, okay with that stuff, yeah, I would certainly recommend um, Full Metal Alchemist if they like demons and like fighting and a lot of like action stuff uh jujitsu kaisen is really really good so it would depend on the person like what kind of recommendation they're looking for did you ever watch one piece um i just actually last night finished watching the live action that's what i was gonna ask you about how was it how was (laughs) it you know it's i mean it's super corny but in like a a kind of charming way i i will say like i don't personally understand because i also watched the live action of um cowboy bebop and enjoyed that and i don't know like they both have the same level of corniness so i don't personally understand why people love it in one piece and why cowboy bebop just got obliterated because i yeah i enjoyed it but i will be watching i'll probably start the anime of one piece too because i've been resisting it for so long like i have watched some of the longer running like naruto and stuff like that but i've been avoiding one piece because it has so many episodes Um, like almost a thousand or something right something like that yeah i'm a bookseller and when people come in to buy manga one of the biggest ones that they buy is one piece and i get these people in like every week and they're buying three or four i'm like how many freaking books how many volumes are there? There's like, oh, there's like 
a hundred or whatever there was. And I was like, oh my God, like there's so much, there's so much uh, volume. Yeah. Like and stuff so that many. they can do. It's, in, it's absolutely insane, but okay. So we're going to move to rapid fire questions. <laughs> okay. Feel free to expand on these. Okay. Rapid fire does not mean one word answer. Okay. okay. What is your favorite genre to read? Fantasy for sure. Young adult or adult or both? Uh, okay. It's, it's hard. It's hard because I mean, it used to be YA. Now, as I'm getting older, I like adult, but I really like those crossover sort of like books, like the ones that have the traditional fast YA pacing, mm-hmm. but characters that are a little bit older. Okay. What, if you could write one trope that you haven't written already, what would mm-hmm. it be? One that I haven't written? It could be one in Wisteria since you haven't announced that. So, oh, saying. I can't tell you the trope. Of <laughs> yeah, you can't. Yeah, you can't tell but, us. So, when you say it could technically be one, but it could not be. Yeah, there is one in Wisteria that um, I've always wanted to do ever since watching the K drama Goblin. That is all I'll say about that one. And I did get to do it. So, I've had a lot of fun with that trope. Ooh, what is. I feel like I do most of the tropes that I like. What are some tropes? But my. <laughs> My mind, I've been reading a lot of romance lately, so my mind always goes to the romance tropes, like the arranged marriage, the one bed trope. Um, of course, now I'm not going to remember any other ones, but okay, we'll just I'll, go with, <laughs> you could just like, say I've already written it in Wisteria. Yeah, yeah. A lot of these, a lot of these tropes that I think are so fun, I'm so excited about. I included a lot of them in Wisteria. I'm very excited for Wisteria. Do, we, <laughs> do, you, do you have a publishing date yet, a release date for Wisteria? Um, I there's one online I don't know if it's like firm it's you know sometime in August again so probably it's probably like August 20 something again just like Foxglove probably like a year away from Foxglove okay so what are you currently reading and what is on your TBR list this month I will admit that I've been so behind on reading um I'm currently reading to gaze upon wicked gods which is an arc that of a book that I think comes out in like March or April um, it's an adult fantasy. And as for what's on my list, Adrian Young's upcoming book in October, I think it's called The Unmaking of June Faro. Yeah. I just call it June Faro, but I think it's actual title is The Unmaking of June Faro. Adrian, yeah. if you listen to this, don't kill me if I got that wrong. I'm uh, very excited for that one. I got an arc a couple of weeks ago mm-hmm. and I like I squealed when I opened the package because I didn't think I was going to get one. And I am so excited to read that one. I, I love her. And OK, so I know that earlier you gave, you know, potential writers a piece of advice for like querying and whatnot. But what is the most valuable piece of advice you've received in regards to writing or publishing in general? Hmm. That is a great question. I think it's back actually when I was working in or working at Nickelodeon and I was trying all these different things. So like I was trying screenwriting. I had just come from theater. I'd also uh, just come from working at a newspaper to try journalism. And one of the guys I was working with was like, why are you putting like 50% towards this and 50% towards this or 30% towards this? Why don't you figure out what you are most passionate right now about and put all 100% towards that. And it just made, you know, it seems so obvious, but it just made so much sense to me then. Cause I was like, yeah, you're, you're right. Like I keep coming back to books. Like I love these other forms. I love animation. Uh, I love live theater, but I keep, I didn't love journalism. (laughs) 
but I keep coming <laughs> back to books. So, okay, why don't I put a hundred percent towards books? And, um, I was working on the project at the time that eventually got me into pitch wars. So I kind of just like pivoted and put everything into that. And it did end up working out like pitch wars doesn't exist anymore, but I was in it. I think kind of the year that it blew up with books like the, the kiss quoten and children of blood and bone Mm -hmm. and all these really amazing books to come out of it. And then from there, it just was bananas with so many more people applying to it. Um, so I, I was, I was in it, I think it was 2016, like the year that it really just freaking blew up. Um, and I learned so much from it. So I think it, it just kind of like changed the trajectory for me. Like I had been querying before I'd written books before, but I really just kind of put everything into that project. So if you weren't an author, if you could pick any job in the world, what would you do? I'd probably go back to, well, okay. I'm not, am I still writing anything? No, out of the publishing writing world, <laughs> out of the writing world, make okay, it more difficult. Okay. Oh man, I I probably would go back to um, like production for. It doesn't have to be animation, but for um, television or film. Do you prefer television over film, just as a, as a medium? I haven't uh, to watch. I typically do prefer television I've not worked on film I've only worked on television so I don't know like personally what my preference would be for the actual experience but um yeah I tend to watch more shows than I do movies for sure so if you could invite anyone over for dinner dead or alive who would you invite Ooh, that's a good question I don't know why but my brain just like went to Jane Austen but also, like, I'd really like to talk to Greta Gerwig and have nice. just like a, a dinner with her. Pick That's her brain. a good answer. Yeah. I feel like she would be a good she would be a good dinner guest. Yeah, like she'd I, be a lot of fun. I would love to just pick, 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 pick her brain. If you could invite any fictional person over for dinner, dead <laughs> or alive. obviously dead or alive, because they're fictional. But who would you invite? I feel like it would probably have to be like one of my characters. Oh man. Like there's one I would like to apologize to. I won't, <laughs> I won't say their name. Would that be the person at the end of all the tides of fate? It I might was, be. <laughs> I was so upset. I was so upset when I read that book. I'm not going to spoil it and say who it was, but I think that's when I originally followed you on Instagram because <laughs> I finished that series and I was just like, how, how could she do this? Yeah, well, why, I will... why would you do this? I will admit that there was going to be another book in that world that I think would have answered some questions for some people and my team at Macmillan, like they did offer on it, but it wasn't something that made sense for me at the time. So instead I sold Belladonna. So instead of that book, we got Belladonna, which I think is, it was the right choice, but there was definitely more to the, all the stars and teeth world and story that I had in mind and had wanted to share with people that may not ever actually like see the light of day, but, um, it would have answered some questions. Do you ever see yourself going back to that world? Um, I don't know. I've talked about it before with like my agent and my team. And I mean, like I said, like there was a period where they had offered on it and the possibility was there and I chose not to do it for other reasons. I don't know at this point if, 
that it makes sense to go back unless, you know, we see these days like backlist titles blow up on TikTok. So unless something like that happened and really made that world super prevalent again, I don't know if it makes sense for me to go back, but it would have been um, a different main character. It would have been like a side story of one of the characters that was in actually two of the characters that were in the crew and like a, a shift onto just them. So it would have been very different. And I think it would have been a lot of fun, but it just didn't make sense at the time. So you are going on tour. We've already talked about this. You know, you get to go to all these incredible places with these incredible people and you've been on a couple tours now in the, in the U S. So if you could go to one place, both domestically and internationally that you haven't been to, and that you're not going to on this trip, where would you go? Just in general, or just like for tour purposes, tour purposes, Oh, tour purposes that changes everything. Okay. They could be in general. I like traveling, so I'll take it. I'll take it in general, Japan for sure. Um, I really, really want to go there. I'm crossing my fingers that I get to go in March. That is my hope. Um, I'll be celebrating my 30th birthday and I want to, I want to go there so bad. Um, happy early birthday. That would be an (laughs) incredible trip. Thank you. Yeah. We'll see if it works out for tour. Ooh, I don't know. That's a tough one. Where haven't, I mean this in Europe, I'm going so many places, but like, I'm not going to Germany this year. That'd be really cool to go to Italy would be really cool. So I'd probably want to like go back to Europe and do some of the other countries there. Yeah. But like, I, mean, I want to go everywhere. There's, there's so many places, but yeah, I think in general, Japan, I also really want to go to Korea. Um, and then for tour, probably like Germany, Italy first. And then in the U S man, I've gone to a lot of the I'd like to go to Hawaii just because I'm in Hawaii. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. That's a good answer. That's a good answer. Okay. So last question. What is currently bringing you joy? Well, my dogs are pretty cute. Your your dogs are cute. (laughs) I know. I know this is all audio and we're not going to do video, but what are your puppies' names? Because I'm a huge dog person. Like I said, obviously I got dogs named after Avatar characters (laughs) uh, up the wazoo. So what are your puppies and what are their names? Um, Muka is my boy. He's, he's my old man. He's like 12 years old. Um, and then Meadow is my bratty, almost three-year-old eternal puppy. And they're very cute. They're bringing me much joy. And just the fact that like, I'm going to travel in two days with best friends, that's bringing me like a lot of joy, like a lot of stress right now. until I'm on the plane and packed, but that is what I'm most excited for right now. And the possibility of like wisteria being done soon having the the series complete and making the book exactly what it has been in my head which it is not currently how it has always been in my head it's much worse because you know it's first draft (laughs) but like I like I like the honesty yeah (laughs) making it fit the vision in my head um I'm very excited for I'm very excited to share the book with people I think it'll be a ton of fun. And by the end of it, it might be my favorite. I'll have to see once I'm done with edits, but it might be my favorite. Well, that's setting the bar really high because (laughs) seriously, like all your books are absolutely incredible. And all the stars and teeth, I was in a bad car accident, I think a year and a half or so before that book was released Mm -hmm. and couldn't, same thing. I couldn't go back to the job I was in. 
And that's when I rediscovered my love for reading and all the stars and teeth. Like when I was growing up, fantasy was what I loved. I loved Mm -hmm. fantasy. And so when I read that book, it was one of the first books that got me back into like the world of reading and the community. And so, and you've just continued to grow from there. And seriously, like your books are absolutely incredible. It makes me so happy when I'm at work and I walk by and people are, you know, looking at Belladonna or all the stars teeth or Fox <laughs> because it's on our table now. Uh, I'm like, it's a really good book. And I'm not just saying that like, it's, <laughs> it's a really good book. You, you need to buy the other ones in the series. And then this is her other series. You need to read this one too, because it's very different, but it's very good. So just thank you for what you do and what you continue to put out into the world. It's fantastic. I'm very excited to read Wisteria when it comes out. Um, and I'm very excited. It sounds like you have plenty of ideas for the future. <laughs> too many, too many. Have a long career, long writing career. But thank you so, so much for being on here and for being my first guest. I could not think of someone that I would want more as the first guest. And the fact that you are so busy and you have so much going on and you agreed to be on here. It just, it means the world to me. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And I hope you have an absolutely wonderful trip and I hope you guys have fun. Thank you so much. This was a great time. I'm very happy, very honored to be your first guest. And thank you so much for having me. Well, that is it for this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. And before I sign off, I would just like to say from the bottom of my heart, thank you so much for taking time out of your day to tune in. This has been a dream of mine for a long time, and I am absolutely honored to have you here. If you want to stay up to date on episodes and announcements, please subscribe or follow me at The Real Bookish Writer or at The Well-Read Podcast on Instagram. Thank you again for listening and have a magical day. See you next week. Thank you.